This month, this Coptic month with the feast of the apostles, Saints Peter and Paul, their martyrdom. And uh, during this month, we've uh, seen a lot of the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the apostles and in the disciples. And now we have this, uni- this gospel, which we know uh, quite well is read on Lazarus Saturday. Lazarus Saturday being uh, the Saturday right before Palm Sunday. Uh, actually, it's the initiation. It's the beginning almost uh, of Holy Week. It's a, a necessary stop on that journey of Holy Week to the resurrection. Um, and we've meditated on that in, in that place and in that regard. And I uh, want us also to understand it in the context of this month of Abib. Um, I just so happened to review last year this gospel, the sermon that I gave a sermon on YouTube. Um, and uh, the points that uh, I was highlighting then are still applicable now. And so um, if today's sermon is not to your liking, you can go back to that sermon and, and see if that may be better. That's going to be hopefully a longer sermon than this one. This one, um, I, I actually am not, I, I didn't prepare anything other than to, um, to speak to you about a sermon that St. Augustine gave. Uh, it's a famous sermon, and I've heard it myself from several priests, and I'm sure that means that you've heard it from several priests. Nevertheless, it's important for us to remind ourselves of these words um, that were given to us by St. Augustine about our Savior's raising people from the dead. He raised three people from the dead. He raised the daughter of Jairus. He raised the widow of Nain. Uh, and he raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. The daughter of Jairus, uh, you can find that story in Luke chapter 8, the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7, and the story of, 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 of Lazarus that we just read, uh, John chapter 11. And St. Augustine makes the connection that sin correlates with death. Sin is the, is the beginning and the end of that is death. Uh, the wages, like St. Paul says, the wages of sin are death. And so in each of these uh, individuals who Christ raised from the dead, Augustine sees a point in the life where somebody has fallen into sin, which is death. Nevertheless, our Savior can come and raise that person from the dead. It requires, though, some work from the people. Raising the dead, you might think, is a work entirely in the hands of God, Jesus Christ, of course, but it also requires a support system, a support crew. So pay attention to the support crew that we find in these stories. In the story of the woman, uh, sorry, the only... um, not the only son, the sort of the, door, the daughter of Jairus, um, we find that the daughter is dead and at home. And they've called our Savior to come. And uh, when he arrives, there's weeping, there's crying. And he says to them, why are you weeping? She's only sleeping. Um, and they mock him. And then they have him uh, put out, they, they put out everybody. And they didn't permit anybody except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the child. 
And, uh, and so he says to the woman, so taking the hand of the girl, um, he says, child, arise. And her spirit returned to her, and she got up at once, and he directed, he directed that something be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one about what had happened. The support comes from those who are given the command to give the child something to eat. What happens, and what St. Augustine is saying, this person is a person who falls into sin out of carelessness, um, out of negligence, something that, you know, came because the person had nothing else to do. The person had no other vision or no other understanding of what life should be like. So they fall into sin. And as they fall into sin, Christ comes to raise the person from the dead, gives her back to her parents and says, give her something to eat, meaning give her something of the fullness of Christ. Give her something of substance. Give her something that matters. Give her something that's going to fill her. And as you give her something that will fill her, she will no longer go back to this idea of sin, which is death. I'm sure we can understand this. Kids that are bored, people that are bored, people that have never tasted the fullness of Christ or the beauty of Christ, they just go and they, they're looking for it. They're looking for community someplace. They're looking not only for community, they're looking for acceptance, they're looking for love, they're look, and they'll find it among many different groups. There's always a group that's willing to accept you, and you just have to be careful though, because those are not the groups that we want to be a part of. Those are the groups that encourage sin, and not encourage what is holy, what is good, what is right. Our, our conviction here in the church is not that what we offer... Um, is more attractive, I, I, I don't know how to say this, uh, having a night out with friends and doing, not crazy drugs, but just some simple drugs and whatnot and, and having fun until one, that's a, that's a good time, right? I, I, can't, I can't say that's not a good time, but what I'm saying is that is not a way that we can live our life. That's not where our life is. Our life is with Christ. And so give her something to eat, give her of Christ. And this is our service in the church. We find people that are sinning, going off in the wrong direction. It's not our job to judge them. It's not our job to condemn them. It's our job to, hey, there's something better than this. It's, we're, like, we're like good salespeople. We've tasted something that's really good, and we think you should try it too. But it's not something bad. Something that is from heaven. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is sweet. And this is what we have to offer. So saving a person from sin who is uh, just, just, just sampling the sin, it is death even in the sampling. And we have to stop it. Second person that Christ raised was the only son of the widow of Nain. And he comes to her and he says, do not weep. And he touches um, the beer that's holding the, uh, the child. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up began to speak, and then it said Christ gave him to his mother. Gave him to his mother. Who is our mother? The church. The church is our mother. And I've spoken about this a lot. And the church is our mother. And those that have not just sampled sin, but you see that this person is in between the house where they just died and uh, the burial plot or the... Um, 
the the place where their 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 body was going to be placed. So it was a little bit further down in the in the process of death. So we could think about this in terms of sin, where not just sampling it, but we're really excited about it. We're going down that path. We're returning to it. This is somebody whose sin continues. And again, the solution to this life is not outside of the church, but in the church. Bringing them back to the church. Now, bringing someone back to the church is very tricky. Because sometimes we think if we have activities, that that's enough to bring somebody back to the church. It's not. There's only one door. And I believe also this was Augustine who said this. There's only one door into the church. And that is the door of repentance. You can only come into the church through that door. There's no other way. You can't come in through a window. You can't come in through a side door. You can't be in the church unless you say, I have to change. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of support. And it's not a one-time deal. Somebody might come and then leave again. Come and then leave again. Come. We have to always be here in the church ready to accept, willing to accept the sinner. We have to be ready for that. We have to be prepared for that. Yesterday we had an event. We'll talk about it at the end of the liturgy. And the people at, at, uh, over here are neighbors in Goods and Goats. The owner comes up to me, right? The man has never said a word to me. Doesn't even look at me, right? And um, I go over to him. I walk, I cross, I say, thank you for coming, thank you for supporting. I hope this isn't too problematic. He says, I gotta come to church. He says, he says can I come to your church tomorrow? I said, yeah, of course. Well, he says, what time does it start? I said, eight o'clock. You know, I'm working through some stuff. I, want, I need to come to church. Everybody's telling me to come to church. And so I, I said, I prayed this morning. I said, God, if he's ready, let us be prepared. But if he doesn't come, let us prepare ourselves. Right? So this is, this is just one story of one person who's 10 feet away from us who wants to come. I'm not, not going to blame him for not coming. I'm going to blame us. I'm going to say, we're not prepared yet. God, help us to be prepared to accept the people who want to come to church and are looking for a church to come, to change their lives, to give them life. So we have to pray about this and may God prepare us to accept the stranger, accept the new person, accept the, the repentant sinner. The final story, which is the gospel today, of Lazarus. Lazarus is not just, he didn't just die. He's not on the way to be buried. He's been in the tomb for four days. St. Augustine, I believe, if I remember correctly, spoke about this as being the one who is enslaved by sin, addicted to sin, in love with sin, cannot leave the sin. He is bound, right? Lazarus was bound in, 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 in grave clothes. He's the person, the sinner is bound by the sin and cannot release himself from it. And so the people that help him are those that love him, say to Christ, the one whom you love is sick. It's not a one-time uh, prayer, God help this person, amen, and I move on with my life. But it's a constant knocking at the door, asking for God's mercy on the one who is ensnared by sin, enslaved by sin. We, as the friends of those people, have to constantly beg Christ. It's not that Christ needs to be coaxed or begged, but it's that we have to enter into their salvation. We have to work to help them. We have to constantly, and it will be for our salvation in the end and for theirs. 
And Christ comes, and, and you see this conversation, Mary and Martha, if he were here, he would have, he would have uh, not died. So they, they know this. And he's saying, look, believe me, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's not even just talking about the fact that he's about to raise Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, you know, unto eternity, forever, even past this life, I am the resurrection and the life. He comes to it and he says he needs people to remove the stone from the tomb. Isn't the one, the person who can call somebody back from the dead, can he also move a rock? Of course he can, but he needs our participation with it. God needs our help to save us. Yes, God is limited in that. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before. God is limited. He cannot force salvation on anyone. He can't force salvation on us. We have to work with that salvation. It's a working together. He didn't force himself on the mother of God. He said, you know, that this is what will happen. And she had to say, Amen. She had to say, let it be according to your word. He, had, he couldn't force himself on Abraham. Abraham, he said, go do this. And Abraham followed. Abraham uh, believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And when it comes to the salvation of others, he still needs us to work. He can't just pick somebody up and put him in the church and transform his heart. And there's no work done by anybody else. Otherwise, we're robots. We're the same thing as our car that needs just a little tinkering to get it to run a little faster or to run a little bit more properly. It's not going to work that way. We have to work. And so they are the ones that call Christ. They are the ones that are you know, bringing Christ to the person. They are the ones that are rolling away the stone, the stone from the tomb. And they are the ones that unwrap him afterwards. There's a story from the Desert Fathers. I've said it here before. I'll repeat it again. Where a group of monks were, were angry or upset or they were... According to the monks, they were fearful about the salvation of a, sinning, a monk that was sinning. This monk was sinning and they were fearful of his salvation. So they go and they call a council. They want to uh, bring this monk in the hopes of saving this monk. They want to bring this monk and, and judge him. Right? They think that the way to save this person is to judge this monk, uh, have him be judged and so he'll realize the extent of his sin and he'll repent of his sin. And uh, the abbot or the father of the monk, he said, look, I'll tell you a story. There was a monk, there, there was a person who was stuck up to his knees in the, in the mud of the, of the river, of the Nile. And the friends that came to help him went to him and pushed him down to his neck. Right? This is, he's saying, sometimes the way that we're trying to help is not help. Sometimes the way that we see it is not really the right way of seeing it. Sometimes we want to expose, we want to discuss, we want interventions, we want to be able to bring somebody over, bring it to the light, and we're too forceful in our methods. We need to be patient, we need to be loving, and we need to be committed. The road to someone's salvation is a road of commitment. Right? Imagine a priest who says, I am going to be your father of confession. And after two or three weeks or two or three years, says, I quit. Uh, go find somebody else. You say, wait, this person was committed to me and I was committed to this person. I thought this was going to be something for the rest of my life. Even when a father of confession passes away, it's devastating because it's not, it's not somebody that's easily replaceable. You're finding somebody who is dedicated and devoted to you. We have to be dedicated 
and devoted to others. Now every single one of us knows somebody that's far from the church. What, what is asked of us is not to lose hope because Christ is, is what he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one that calls forth. He is the one that gives power. He is the one that raises us from the dead. It's never, and I don't want you to be confused by this, it's never us who does it. Christ has to work too. But Christ doesn't do it alone. He, ha he has to have us work with him. The five loaves and the two fish that are offered feed the 5,000. Yet it is Christ who transforms the five loaves and the two fish, which are seemingly nothing, in the face of, in the face of 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And you find now, here, somebody who is on the road to sin or death or suffering or whatever capacity, you find this person in this way. We're called just to pray for them. Is it too hard to pray for a person that's, that's, that's found them, their life is, they're living a life of sin? Or for that mother whose child that you know is away from the church, is it too much for us to pray for that mother and that child? We know. We don't have to look in the news. right? I'm not asking you to pray for, for Britney Spears or somebody else that's being written about in the news. You know, God help her get out of her conservatorship or whatever she's going through, right? We can kind of, okay. But at the same time, there are people specifically in your life, which means you have to work towards that. Is it too hard for us to fast for them? A Wednesday and a Friday, which we're supposed to be fasting anyway. And since we are finding it hard to encourage ourselves to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, let us think about all of those people that are far and say, for the sake of these people, I will fast today. If not for my own salvation, I'll, I'll, I'll do it because I care about these people and I want them to return. And we can do this, and, I, and, and believe me, as, as, as little or as short of my priesthood as I've you know, been at it, I remember very early on in my priesthood, people that have been far away from the church for 30 years, which I did not know about, I don't care, I didn't, I didn't know anything about them. Right? They come to me, they confess, they start taking communion, and then the next thing I know is a priest tells me this guy hasn't been to church in 30 years. Right? So God was working through the prayers of other people, and I was just there to witness the return in the end. I never, I never lose hope in anyone or anything. And even if somebody dies in their sins, I don't lose hope in God. And this is, and this is any of you who's a parent will know this, or who has parents will know this, you know? Parents live and die for their children. Even if the kid does all these uh, terrible things, the parent will say, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. He just made a mistake. There's something. God in his fatherhood is like that with us too. And I never lose hope in that. He is the one that raises us from the dead. But let us work. Let us just not leave it all up to him. Let us do the work that we have to do. Praying for those to return. Praying for those that are ensnared or enslaved by sin. No matter how simple it is, it's death. You know, it's not just a couple of kids fooling around or messing around. It is, sin is always death, and we need to be more sensitive to this. We need to understand the gravity of sin. That there's no little sins and no big sins. Every sin is separation from God. And, and I got a nice example of this from a boy. I don't have to tell, say his name, but there's a priest who said, look, take a nice, tall glass of purified water. And take a little piece, forget, I'm going to be a little crass. Take a little, a small piece of some, some poop and just float it on top of that glass. Are you going to drink that glass? You're going to say, oh, 99.9% .9 of this glass is delicious and only have that little piece. You're going to say, disgusting. I'm not, 
But that's how we have to understand sin. There's nothing like, oh, this is okay, this is tolerable. No, no, we should not. And all of us, the, the follow-up that is like, we're all different ratios of, of poop to water, unfortunately. <laughs> we're all different ratios of that. And we have to kind of purify ourselves and get that all out. And that's just our life, but that's okay. If, as long as we're struggling, as long as we recognize it, as long as we, we're truthful and honest about ourselves and not say, you know, I'm, I'm perfect, everything's perfect, everything. No, we have to see ourselves in the light of Christ. And we ask Him to, to cleanse us. And we ask Him to cleanse others. We cover our, the sins of others. We pray for the sins of others. We pray for them to rise from the death of their sins. And we never lose hope in Christ who is the resurrection and the life. To Him be the glory, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever in teachable allegiance. Amen.